Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today, whether you're watching online or here in Maribel. If you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is where we're going to be at today as we continue in this series. We've got two more weeks in 1 Corinthians, so I'm excited as we uh, wrap up the series and kind of get into the next series, which is called That'll Leave a Mark. So I'm really pumped about that series. If you're a Chris Farley fan, you'll remember him saying that. And um, the, the, the point is that the, there are events in our life that will either make us or break us. And the Lord wants those events in our life to make us healthier, to make us more mature, to make us stronger. And uh, so we're going to talk about how the events in life that sometimes lead to bitterness, anger, and depression, and anxiety uh, can ultimately lead to hope and overcoming and joy and maturity. And so that's going to be a great series, and I'm excited. We start that in a couple of weeks. And so here in chapter 14, we're going to talk about the gifts that God gives to us and how they're supposed to build up the church. And so, you know, every church has its own style. Every church um, has its own kind of flow and way of doing things in a Sunday morning uh, church service. And when it comes to a morning church service, you kind of get used to that flow, right? I mean, we kind of do the same thing every week. We kind of mix it up from time to time, but generally speaking, you guys know what to expect uh, when you come uh, to Foothills Church. But when we read the Bible, the Bible gives us a lot of freedom on how we, we actually do a church service. You know, how many songs are we supposed to sing? And should we use drums or should we use an organ? And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. It just gives us freedom in that. How long should the sermon be? And, and uh, should, should it be really, really, really long? Or should it be, you know, I don't know about this. You know, it's kind of open. I, and, and so we get to kind of choose how that works. How do you do announcements? How do you do, you know, the offering? And how do you take the Lord's Supper? And all of these different things. And uh, the, the, we have a general outline of what we should be doing. Uh, but then a lot of the details are really up to the church. And so the, the point, though, uh, for a church service, though, is it, it needs to be organized and it, and it, and it needs to be beneficial. Um, how many of you guys have ever been to a church service that wasn't so organized and maybe a little bit crazy and you didn't really know what was going on? Anybody been to a service like that? Hold it up high. I want to see who I'm going to talk to. You are the people that I'm talking to today. <laughs> so not everybody is going to, like, connect with chapter 14, Right. Some of you guys have marriage problems. Some of you guys have anxiety and all these different things in your life. And you're going to read this chapter and you're going to be like, not necessarily what I was hoping for today, but everybody that just raised your hand, I hope this is encouraging to you and gives us a little bit of guidance on how we uh, really answer challenging and difficult questions when it comes to the life of uh, church, because there are a lot of churches that get a little little like out of control on Sunday morning and, and they might say they're caught up in the spirit, right? And so there's a lot of running up and down the, the aisles and, you know, people dancing and, and all that. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that's some people. I, I was watching a video uh, and you probably have seen this and, and it, this is the kind of stuff that's in my algorithm. <laughs> and, and so like this guy's up at this church and he's leading the hymn and they're all singing and he's got his hymn book out and he's doing the arm, you know, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happens, but these men just start like running up and down the aisles. And I'm not just talking about a stroll. I'm talking like Barry Sanders running down the aisle. If, if, if a woman or child stepped into the aisle, they would have been T-boned right there. And uh, they start 
doing somersaults. And they start running up on the stage doing somersaults and, and uh, barrel rolls. And, and uh, then they start taking off their suit jackets and they start swinging them and they start throwing them into the crowd. And, and uh, one, one guy threw it and it landed on the guy who was leading the song. So he's up there leading the song. He's got a jacket over his head. And, and I kid you not, one guy got so excited, he runs down the aisle he jumps, and you've seen this, you've probably seen this. He jumps onto the stage, does a barrel roll, leaps over the little, you know, half wall that goes into the choir loft, and he goes over that, and then he starts doing this like 360 spin over the pews, all the way to the back wall where the glass baptistry was, puts his hands on the glass wall, does a flip over the wall, straight into the water in the baptistry. Kid you not. And as he's dancing in the water, the guy's still leading the song with the jacket over his head. Just everybody just thought it was normal. Now that's some expression, I guess, of a worship service. And I want to worship Jesus in an excited way. I just don't want to pull a hamstring. <laughs> that, I'm too old for that kind of stuff. But it's interesting when we come to chapter 14 because... Paul is actually talking to a group of people who they, they were not leading their church service on Sunday with organization, with order, and it wasn't being helpful to the people. And so he gives instruction here. Now, we know over the last several weeks that the church in Corinth was messy. Uh, they had a lot of different issues, and the specific issue that he wants to help them with in this uh, particular part of the letter is how they are using the gifts of tongues and of prophecy in their church. And so they're essentially misusing the gift of tongues. And so there were new believers or, or, or even non-believers that were showing up to the church service and, and people were speaking in tongues and they were doing it in, 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 in an, um, in an un, in, inappropriate way. And as a result, people were confused and people thought they were crazy. And, and uh, this confusion and disorder was actually hurting the church. It wasn't building up the church. And so everybody uh, wanted to get up and, and actually get in front of the group and, and share something. And so Paul's like, everybody can't get up and share. Everybody can't do that. You know, everybody wants to get up. And, and, and particularly, I think what he was saying is that they want to be seen they, they, they want the notoriety. And so Paul makes it clear that the purpose of our spiritual gifts are to build up the people of the church, to encourage the people, not frustrate them and confuse them. And so the last um, a few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual gifts and how we're the body of Christ and how we're all called to use those gifts in order to build up the, the church. And so in this particular uh, passage, he speaks directly to the issue that, that they were struggling with. And we're going we're gonna to apply it today to see kind of how it lands on us. And so in verse 1, chapter 14, here's what he says. Remember, chapter 13 was um, love is the greatest gift that we can give to anyone, right? And so he continues and he says, pursue love. Good transition statement. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
Now remember, prophecy is, is not I am the prophet Elijah with the authority you know, that I hear directly from God and I can say, thus saith the Lord. The gifts that are in uh, prophecy world are, are, are gifts of wisdom. I know something from the word of God. I can share that wisdom with you, a word of understanding, a word of wisdom. Um, I can teach, I can preach, you can share. Many of you guys have that gift. You can share that with a friend. Uh, doesn't simply mean you get up on a stage and do that. You can do that in, um, uh, uh, with, with friends in a small group. Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Circle that in your Bible, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. We'll hit that later. The one who speaks in a tongue, here's an here's interesting thing, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies does what? Builds up the church. Now, I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone does what? Interprets. So that the church may be, here it is again, we hear this and have seen this over and over and over over the last couple of weeks. Our spiritual gifts are there to build up the church. So the problem with many Christians is that we're drawn to the seemingly miraculous and we're bored with consistency. The Corinthians were enamored with the seemingly miraculous gifts that God was doing something supernatural in their midst, right? And if we're honest, we kind of lean into that as well. We want to see a miracle, right? It's why we love Marvel movies. We love the miraculous gifts, right? And so we can tend to do that. And so we always want to see God do a miracle, but we don't want to slow down for five minutes and just simply read our Bible, <laughs> We're drawn to the miraculous, and so we tend to prioritize that which is impressive instead of that which is important. And as a result, what happens oftentimes is that some people use their gifts and it tears down the church. Now think about that. If you were using the gift, the spiritual gift that God has given to you, and as you were using it, it was tearing down the church. Now, most of you would say, oh, I would never do that. I don't want to do that. But when we think about it, sometimes we actually can hurt the church if we don't use our gift appropriately. That it may not be your goal to hurt anybody, but oftentimes it can happen when you use your gift just to be noticed, just to get attention. When you use your gifts in a selfish way, it hurts people. I can't tell you how many people, you know, will, will go to a church and not, not our church, but just churches in general. And they show up because they have an agenda. They have a ministry. They have a voice. They can play an instrument. They can teach. And so they show up to that place and they want to push their agenda instead of the vision to do whatever the church is trying to do. Here be to make disciples. And so we, we, we see that and, and nobody would say, I wanna use my gift to tear down the church. 
but it happens all the time when we use it inappropriately in a selfish way. And that's what the Corinthians were doing with this miraculous, seemingly miraculous gift of speaking in tongues. They were trying to, 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 to use it. Perhaps their motivation was to help, but they were hurting because they were doing it in an inappropriate way. And in our context, some Christians might use their influence, their leadership, their, their friendship, their gifts to uh, lead people to actually gather a crowd. And then as they, they get that crowd, they'll you know, spread false rumors or spread gossip or, or spread even false doctrine. And, and so that can distract the mission of the church. And the way they do it is they use their gift of leadership, their gift of, of influence to draw people in and then divide them. And so your gifts can be used to harm the church instead of build the church. And so we want to evaluate, are we using our gifts and is it actually helping and making a difference. And apparently here in the Corinthian church, the people cared more about looking good in front of others instead of building disciples. They wanted to look good. They want to be seen as somebody who had wisdom or somebody who had this miraculous gift instead of make disciples. And so does that happen in our church? Does that happen in our world? Of course. So a lot of people you might know, struggle with this idea that we want to look impressive or we want to look like we are put together, that we are wise in some way. And so if we just want to look impressive in front of a crowd, we're going to hurt God's church. And so I think a lot of people uh, will struggle with this. Sometimes we'll use our gifts just to build our business and we don't use those gifts to build the church. And so we have to see the connection here. You're gifted to build God's church in some way, to make disciples, to invest in the ministries of God's church. And so we wanna make sure we're doing that together. People a lot of times can care more about looking good and sounding good in front of others than the mission of what God has called us to do. And so we have to be very careful. We don't wanna get distracted by gift sets and appearance and who's getting attention and who's getting notoriety and and we want to be about the business of impacting lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the Corinthian church, uh, the gift of tongues was being used to harm instead of build. So here's my question for you. You probably woke up wondering this in your marriage as you were fighting last night and talking about getting a divorce. You probably wondered, what is the gift of tongues? <laughs> That's a joke. No, for some of you, that is a, a question that you've wondered. And so let's talk about it for just a minute. The way that we handle this question uh, is going to be the way that we handle any difficult question that we look up in the Bible or that we see in the Bible. Um, I think how we approach questions, we uh, tell a lot about our faith and tell a lot about how we come to these decisions. And so I think it's important that we actually go to the Bible and we actually let the Bible... Um, teach us instead of just bringing our own tradition or our own experience into the method, even though that is hard to do sometimes. But the argument, and, and really, let me just say this, it's debatable, right? It's debatable on what this gift is. I'm just gonna teach my opinion today and, uh, and, and share this, but you can certainly have a different opinion. Um, but there are two ways to look at the gift of tongues. And, and so a lot of people believe that the gift of tongues is when somebody miraculously who cannot speak another known language uh, is gifted by the Holy Spirit in that moment to actually speak that language. 
So I cannot speak Spanish. But if, if um, God were to give me that gift to speak in Spanish today for our Hispanic brothers and sisters that are here, and I were to bust out into, 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 into speaking that language, that would be miraculous, right? I can't do that. That would be miraculous. That is uh, what one view is. And then the other view is that uh, the gift of tongues is this ecstatic uh, utterance that is almost like, and I don't say this to make fun, but it's almost like babbling um, in, in, in using this utterance um, that's not really coherent, but it is meant to be um, given to the Lord and, and, and speaking to the Lord. And so uh, this is kind of what people get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so the argument is here that there is a private prayer of this ecstatic utterance. And, and, and some people might call it a, a prayer language. And it's not a discernible language. And it's between you and God. And other people can't um, understand it, in, in, including you. And so I would say that that's possible, but I'm not convinced. And here are several reasons why. Um, and by the way, at Foothills Church, this is what we call a non-essential. This isn't like super important to where we can't have fellowship and we can't be in the same church. There are some people here that believe in the gift of tongues is, a, is an ecstatic utterance. And there are others who might believe, no, it's actually a known language. And so it, doesn't, it, it shouldn't divide us. It shouldn't separate us. That's really what part of this whole letter is that Paul's teaching is that we don't let these things divide us. You can have a difference of, of opinion and still uh, work together in, in, in God's church. And so let's go to the Greek word. The Greek word for tongues is the word glossae, and it refers to a human language. So that's kind of the first point that when the, the, the New Testament writers are writing in, in, in Greek, they're using a word that actually means a human language. And so the examples of the gift of tongues is also important for us to look at. And so we're not going to look at it, but you can write this down. But in the book of Acts, um, we see the gift that is being used, and it is uh, people who are actually speaking a known language. And so in Acts chapter 2, that is the day of Pentecost. And at, at Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes for the first time. This is the blessing of the Holy Spirit given to the, to the believers. This is when he comes for the first time. It's an amazing, special day in the history and life of, of the church. And so in that moment, they're in Jerusalem. People are from every region. And so when they receive the Holy Spirit, God gives them the ability in that moment to be able to speak in the various languages. And so in Acts 2, it actually says that each person heard the gospel in their own language. And so that is what the gift of tongues uh, as an example is given to us. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Remember, this is a huge thing that the, the, the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles. And this was the inauguration of that huge monumental moment in the life of the church that the gospel is for uh, Gentiles. And so um, Peter is preaching to Cornelius. He receives <clears throat> Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on him and, and, and those who believe. And it says that they speak in tongues. Now, when it says they speak in tongues, what kind of speaking is that? Well, is it a known language or was it an ecstatic babbling? Well, I think the burden of proof is on the 
person who would say, I think it's in a static prayer language that he's, that they're experiencing in Acts chapter 10. I think you have to prove that because we just saw a few chapters earlier what speaking in tongues actually is. And so in Acts 10, why would we think it is any different than that? In fact, when Peter is explaining in Acts 11 to all the the Jews back in Jerusalem what had happened, he is saying that the same gift that we received on Pentecost, they actually received as well, which was the ability to actually speak in this known language. Why would Acts 10 be any different um, than Acts 2? And then in Acts 19, Paul speaking to the Ephesians. And as they receive the Spirit and speak in tongues, again, there's no reason to believe or think that it's any different than, than Acts chapter 2. And so why do we think it's different? I personally just am I'm just not convinced that it's anything other than speaking in a known language. In verse 2, if you go back to it, he says, One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him but utters mysteries in the Spirit. So what are those mysteries in the spirit. First of all, this is the only verse in the entire Bible that talks about this. And it's re- one of the rules of interpreting scriptures. You, you don't want to develop a doctrine, a doctrine which is a, you know, a huge theological understanding of God based on a very ambiguous or hard to understand or weird verse, one verse. And that's part of the principle of, of looking at verse two here. I don't, I don't want to build a whole theology around one verse that's a little confusing. And so that's another thing to, to realize. But this is the verse that people say and believe that it's teaching some kind of prayer language. But I don't think it's the gift that's different in that language versus ecstatic. I think the situation he's talking about is different. Meaning, if you're speaking another language and no one understands that language, it's going to be a mystery to everyone listening because they can't understand that. If you don't speak Spanish and someone's speaking Spanish, it's going to be a mystery to you what they're actually saying. And only God is going to understand that language. So he says you can speak in private, but Jesus, or but just because it's private doesn't mean that it's an an ecstatic utterance. Of course you can speak um, a a prayer in a a different language. And so, you know, I, I think when we begin to unpack this, we, we start to see more of an understanding um, of what it means. Now, I probably have some Hispanic brothers and sisters, uh, I know we do, who wish that I had the gift of speaking in tongues because they would love for me to bust out and speak in, 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 in Spanish today and help them out. Um, or maybe they're watching online. But I will tell you this, we've been working on this and we're excited um, next week actually we're going to begin to have the technology that if you want to hear the translation of this message in Spanish, you're going to be able to do that. And so we've got an app and we've got some headphones. We've got all the stuff technology-wise to, to make that happen. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. We've got a lot of, yeah. We've got a lot of uh, Hispanic friends and uh, partners that uh, I think that's going to, going to be super encouraging to them. All right, so what about Acts chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Uh, again, um, he says, he, he's talking about, um, if I have the tongues of angels. 
And we read that last week and we saw that. And so that's a little confusing too. If I have the tongues of angels, what does that mean? Do angels speak some kind of weird uh, language? And, and, and again, it's possible, but it's just not persuasive. I think he's talking about love in a, in a very hyperbolic way. Now, you know what hyperbole is, right? It's when you say something like, I am as hungry as a horse. Uh, or I, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. I think that's really the statement. I always get those confused. Um, and, and I can't really eat a horse, but it's an exaggerated way to say something that, you know, is expressive. And so I think that's what Paul's doing in Acts 13 when he's talking about, you know, that the, this, this idea that if I have the gift of all knowledge, well, of course you don't have all knowledge, but if I had the gift of all knowledge, if I could speak tongues of angels, well, of course you can do that. But if you did, and he's arguing that I can have all of these amazing, wonderful things, but if I have not love, I'm a resounding, clanging gong. Remember that. So, I, so love is, is, is the important thing. So I don't think uh, chapter 13, verse 1 is, is persuasive either. So another question that maybe you've experienced, and again, depending on your background in church, is, is speaking in tongues the baptism of the Holy Spirit or evidence that the Holy Spirit has come into your life. In Acts 2, the Spirit comes, they speak in a known language. Acts 10, they speak in tongues in a known language. Acts 19, same thing. All of these examples are people coming to faith. When the Spirit comes, then they express with speaking in this known language. And so some people see that and say, well, that's evidence that we need to be able to do that as well. And and you don't really have the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you can loose that tongue and you can be able to have some kind of utterance. And, and so I think what we see, though, is that these are unique, special times in the life of the church in these three or four examples. And it means that, yes, it could be evidence that the Spirit has come, but it doesn't mean it has to be there. I mean, we see many other examples in the Bible where people come to faith and they don't speak in a known language or, or it doesn't say that they speak in a tongue at all. And so those were special days. And I, I do know there are a lot of denominations that teach that you've got to demonstrate that in order to really show that you have uh, the Spirit. And if that's your background, let me encourage you today. Let me bless you today. Drop that weight of guilt. <laughs> you don't have to carry that. Whoever told you that, was sharing something, in my opinion, that is not biblical. We do not see that as evidence of being a person who loves Jesus and has faith in Jesus in Scripture. It was, or it, it, it happened in a few situations, uh, but that doesn't mean it has to. In fact, we've already read in chapter 12 that we were all baptized in the Spirit. When we came to faith in Christ, we were baptized in that Spirit. We received the Spirit. And he doesn't say that we have to do that. In fact, he says in chapter uh, 12 that, that not everybody is going to do that. I think another point here is that when, when he refers to interpreting the tongue, and so when he refers to interpreting the tongue, it leads us to believe that it's a language that someone else speaks and understands and other people in the room don't understand. In order to speak something that is interpreted, somebody has to understand that. So just for me, it, it, it makes sense. Verse 2, when he says, the one who speaks a tongue speaks to God, that doesn't mean it's an ecstatic babbling. It means that a tongue is not, if a tongue is not interpreted, 
God is the only one who can grasp the meaning because nobody around them understands that language. Now, I don't think the utterances of, you know, this ecstatic speech is like evil or of, of the devil or anything like that. And I'm certainly not saying that I look down on, on people that do that. I'm just sharing my opinion today. And I do think that people that, that, that might express that and do that, believe in that, are, are, are doing that with good intentions. I just don't see it in the New Testament. Um, and so I think a lot of people believe um, that w- because of what they've been taught when they were young or what they were kind of experiencing when they were young and so kind of just led down that path. And, and a lot of people believe that the gift of, of speaking in tongues, and when I say tongues, a known language, um, has actually ceased. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, as for tongues, they will cease. So some people take that to mean that, okay, this gift was a specific, special time in the life uh, and history of God's church. And so that's uh, evidence there that it has ceased. And so in verses four to five, Paul is saying, and he believes the gift of tongues is a blessing. And he says he wishes everybody could do it. However, that doesn't mean he expects everyone to do it. And some read that verse and say, oh, see, God wants all of us to do it and, and uh, we're expected to do it. But no, 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 no. He says he wishes everybody could, but he's, he's not expecting that everybody is going to do that. And so the problem, though, with misusing the gift of tongues is that it doesn't communicate to people. And, and I think that's Paul's point. Right? We, we don't want our gifts to hurt the church. We want our gifts to build the church. And so um, an interpreter is required. And the Corinthian church didn't have an interpreter. And because of that, it was hurting people. And they were most likely just doing it to look super spiritual. And it's why Paul is telling them that every gift is important, that everybody should, should use their gift. Everybody is needed. And, 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 and this group specifically must have been a little arrogant about this miraculous gift. Um, in verses 6 through 12, we're not going to read it, but he gives some examples of why it's important. And so he starts off by, by using uh, musical instruments. And he talks about these musical instruments needing to have a clear sound in order to be helpful. And in the same way, if someone speaks in a tongue, then it needs to be interpreted so that it's clearly used uh, for others' benefit. He talks about a military trumpet. When the trumpet sounded, the army knew it was time to attack. If someone speaks in a tongue and then doesn't have an interpretation, then nobody knows what to do because nobody can understand it. Um, Even if you think tongues is an ecstatic utterance, he says you don't even know what it means yourself. So really and truly, it's not actually even helping you. And so you don't know what you're saying. Um, And so it's not beneficial, right? Let's look at verse 23. He says, if therefore... The whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? (laughs) Paul's like, look, if everybody starts talking in these different languages, then outsiders that are coming to your church are going to think that you're crazy. And so he's saying uh, essentially that outsiders are important to think about when we gather for a church service. And so a lot of times as Christians, we aren't mindful of new people. We get so used to our Christian culture and our Christian language, and we know when to sit and stand, and we know what to do and all these kinds of things. And we forget that there are a lot of people who are here for the first time today. 
We forget that sometimes there are people who got invited by a friend and, and their background is different. And so this is a brand new experience for them. And so I would say every time you come to church, please don't just come and, and sit here and not speak to anybody and then just sneak out. Like engage and in, in, in hang out with people and get to know people and encourage people. And yes, serve on Sundays. And, 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 and yes, be mindful that the person sitting next to you in your row may not know Jesus. They, this might be their first time in church. Don't just assume that everybody here is just like you. And, and I think that's important. I think this is a great point that Paul makes. Like be mindful of visitors. Be mindful of young believers. And so when you're singing during a worship uh, song, like if you're not singing, you're teaching that person who is beside you who has never been to church that singing is not important to Christians. If you're not engaged in the music, what you're teaching them and showing them is that, you know, that's not an important thing and that's just something that you just have to sit through or get through in order to get to the message. Whatever you think you're doing, you need to understand that you are influencing people. Your example is important. Not talking to the person next to you um, could be a huge hindrance in that person's faith. I think in church, a lot of times we get so focused and inward focused on what we want, our tradition, how we want to sing the song, the, the, the style that we like, right? And we get so focused on the style and the things that we like and we forget that, that we're trying to reach the next generation. And so we've got to be mindful about music and environments and all these different things about how we connect with people. And if we just want to, you know, put our foot down and say, well, by gosh, they just need to enjoy what we have. Well, that's just not going to work. Uh, we have to be mindful of people who don't know Jesus and, and do our best as we teach and preach the gospel, never compromise the gospel, never, never compromise the scripture, Right? We preaching all the way through 1 Corinthians. Man, we have talked about a lot of controversial things. If you haven't got your feelings hurt at least one time in this series, you have not been listening. I've hurt my own feelings. <laughs> um, so let's go to verse 27 and 28. If you've read ahead, oh, you're nervous. Do you guys read ahead? How many of you guys read the chapter ahead? Oh, wow. That was depressing. <laughs> Maybe read one chapter a week, I don't know. Verse 27, he says, If any speak in a language, in a tongue, let there, only, uh, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them what? Keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So this is interesting. He starts to give us some rules for speaking in tongues. Only two or three uh, at most should speak. Always uh, needs to have an interpreter. And if there's no interpretation, keep silent. Keep silent. Now, if you have your Bibles open in verses 34 and 35, he then talks about, he says, women should remain silent in church. 
And he says, it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Let them ask their husbands at home. (laughs) Now, what does this mean? Context, context, context. One of the great uh, values of preaching through an entire book is that if you've been here, you, you know the context. The last three weeks, kind of the big picture topics has been spiritual gifts and, and how we use our spiritual gifts to build the church. And specifically in this particular passage, he's talking about how we use the gifts of tongues. And so when he says two or three only, and when you're thinking about tongues in terms of a known language, that's what I want you to be thinking about here, in two or three only, and every time it is spoken, then someone needs to interpret it. And if there is no interpretation, then everybody, including men, be quiet. So men be quiet. And yes, women, be silent if there's no interpreter. Now, he's not saying that women shouldn't talk in church or teach in church. That is not what he's saying. Uh, We see other places of Scripture where it tells women to teach and and, and to encourage. And, And he's been, over the last two chapters, been telling men and women alike to use your gifts to encourage the church. And so sometimes people will just read one verse and they will just rip it out of context and they will say, see, this is what the Bible says. And it's just, a, it's just bad theology and bad um, interpretation. And so essentially what he is saying here is women, yeah, be quiet if there's not an interpreter. And he just said, men, be quiet if there's not an interpreter. So I hope that makes sense. And so My final point here as we wrap up is this. Use your gifts to help build up the church. Use your gifts to build up the church. I hope your gifts are building up your family and building up your business and you are a rock star at work and you are making money and and, and you are leading people and God is doing great things in your life. But if you fail to build up God's church with those gifts, then you are being disobedient. And I'm telling you, we need you. We want you. We want to figure out the best way that God could use you and don't feel like what you are, are, have to do has to fall in one of two or three categories. There are many ways that you can serve the church, but you do need to go to base camp. You do need to go to camp too, because that's how we help you get there. And that's how we help lead you into those uh, places. Let me, let me close with this verse, verse 12. So with uh, yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, you always wanna see miraculous things, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church, right? That's the point. And then in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so in God's church, there should be order, shouldn't be crazy and it shouldn't, you know, upset people. It shouldn't confuse people. It should be helpful. God is a God, not of confusion, but of peace. And so he's telling us, use the prophetic gifts, those gifts that build up, that encourage, that teach a, a word, that, that, that encourage people and that help them get to the next level in their faith, right? So encourage, he says. And so whatever is troubling you today, whatever you are facing today, you got this. God is gonna, he's gonna bless you. He's gonna help you face whatever it is that you're facing today. In fact, 
I want you to use some gifts today. Turn to the person next to you and say, you got this. Tell them, tell them you got this. Whatever it might be, you're, you're strengthening them. Listen, you're stronger than you think you are because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are stronger than you think. Encourage him, tell him, you're stronger than you think. He calls us to comfort each other in our time of need. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are going through a lot of drama in your life. But let me tell you, it is not as bad as you think today. It is going to work out. Tell your neighbor, it's going to work out. Tell them right now, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Now, finally, turn to your neighbor and speak in tongues. I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. You weren't listening. Hey, I hope today's been helpful. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song to celebrate Jesus. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help this message to encourage us. And God, lead us into a a deeper faith. May it help us interpret scripture in other ways. I pray that it would help those who have struggled with this to have clarity today. I I pray that no matter what people believe about this issue, that this wouldn't cause division. Uh, This is just my my take, God. And so I pray that it would encourage and bless. And and, um, Lord, I pray that you would just use it to uh, build this church up. I, I pray that everybody hears that message. Lord, that we're called to build up the church. So help us, God, to to do that together using our gifts. And uh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.